Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us today as we worship and fellowship together. To find out more about Waterbrook, go to www.waterbrook.church. Well, that's a um, great and hopeful uh, passage of Scripture. And as we're uh, coming to this text of Scripture this morning, I felt it really uh, helpful to us and important to us that we might Uh, spend a little time thinking about the doctrine or the truth of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, can I remind you this morning how wonderful it is that every believer has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer makes this remark that when we have the Holy Spirit, we have all that is needed to be all that God desires of us. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have all that we need to be all that God desires us to be. Now, in Romans chapter 8, I want to remind you that Paul has been describing the common struggle of every Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, and the struggle is that in my flesh I cannot live out the call of God. I cannot fulfill the commands of God. We can, he says in Romans 1 and 2, we can see what's wrong with each other. It's pretty easy, isn't it, in these times to figure out everybody else's problem? I want to give you a little encouragement as a church family and people who are listening. I want to give you this encouragement that you need to be conscious during this time that the easiest thing we can do is disagree with one another. And uh, one of the easiest things we can do is look at others' opinions on how the coronavirus is being handled and processed, how people are responding and reacting, and we can look and see what's wrong with everything that's going around us, but we fail to realize that our greatest difficulty is not the coronavirus, not the politicians, not what's going on in the systems, in the economic systems and plans around us. My biggest battle is with Kevin Dibley. My biggest battle is with the guy in the mirror. My biggest battle is with me trusting God. We all have our individual propensities. But here's the thing. God has purposed, according to Romans chapter 8, to take a group of weak and broken people, buy them and bind them to Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead, and then fill them with the Holy Spirit so that he might advance the cause of his kingdom into the world. And the great hope of the Christian is Christ in us the hope of glory, that we're not just in survival mode, we're in glory mode. We're not just seeking to make it through the next month or two weeks or whatever. We're building the church of Christ. God, Christ has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And getting our mind into the place where we believe that God can use people like us in circumstances like us means that we have to believe in the, the gift and the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, this great passage that we love where we are more than conquerors is entitled by many commentators life in the spirit because everything has changed when God has taken away our sin and there is now as Romans 8 says no more condemnation in Christ Jesus when God has changed our standing before us and and put us in Jesus Christ he has changed everything about our destiny everything about our possibilities he has united us with Christ, and then filled us with the Spirit so that we might live for God. So we ought to have great expectations for the church of Jesus Christ. Not because we're different than the people around us in our own selves and in our own abilities, but rather the difficulties that we struggle with 
are not greater than the God who is for us. And so we say over and over again, if God is for us, who can be against us? Marvelous truth. So listen to Francis Chan. He says, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. When this is simply about what you and I can do and what you and I are going to do, we're not relevant. We're just another social organization. We are, not, we are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and the presence of the Spirit of God. You got that? Who we are and what we can do has to be something that only God can do in and through us. And Romans 8 is this great exhortation. When it says God is for us, it means the Spirit of God is in us, working for us to produce in us glory, to advance the kingdom of God. And so when you're sitting there at home or you're contemplating together, if there's anybody near you, just look at them and say, God is for us, the Spirit of God is in us. Can you say that? God is for us, the Spirit of God is in us. I'm using that language because that's the language that's used there. J.I. Packer says, the Christian life in all its aspects, intellectual, ethical, devotional, and relational, upsurging in worship, and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from Him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there'll be no believers and no congregations at all. Do you understand? The church is a creation of the Holy Spirit through the power of the gospel. Christians exist because they've been born anew, created by the, the, the same Holy Spirit who hovered in Genesis chapter 1, hovers over the people of God, and at the beckoning of God in the gospel, makes a marvelous new creation out of you and I. Now, I say this because when we're going through trials and difficulties, and I want to say this particularly for Christians, when Christians who are concerned, when Christians are compassionate, trials can be acute. Because if the Holy Spirit has been working in you and Christ is living in you, you're not just thinking about you. You have been rescued by Christ, and now you look around and you long that other people would know the comfort and the power and the help and the blessing. Compassion elicits more cares in the life of the believer. So you will hear Paul, for example, writing in his letter to the Corinthian church, and he'll say, talk about his struggles, and he lists. He was thrown in prison. He was shipwrecked. He received the 40 lashes minus one on multiple occasions. His imprisonments were difficult. And then he puts this line in, added to me was my ongoing concern for the church. It is supernatural and natural to be concerned about other people. The danger in all of that is we begin to feel the weight of it. And this is what Romans 8 is teaching. God is not asking you to carry the weight of the world. God is not placing the weight of the world on your shoulders. In fact, the Bible teaches in Isaiah chapter 64 that it's exactly the opposite. God isn't waiting for people who will work for Him in the world. God is working for those people who belong to Him who will wait for Him while in the world. Do you understand that? That's the Bible. That's the gospel. God works for those who wait for him. 
And you know, this is one of the realities of going through difficult suffering. I watched an interview last night. Uh, I think, Mike, it was one of the interviews that you had sent me. I, I watched this interview of a doctor in New York talking about how to handle the coronavirus as they're in the hot spot in New York City. And you looked at this man, and I thought, this guy is exhausted. He had dark eyes. It looked like he had been going long hours, long shifts. And you're looking, how sustainable is this? How sustainable is this? And the reality is that when Christ begins to work in your life, you begin to feel not only if, if Christ is in you, not only your pains and struggles, but the compassion of Christ and God for other people's struggles. There's a testimony of a German theologian in the Second World War who didn't believe God at the time, but he was in the war, and London, the, the British were bombing um, Hamburg where he was at. And as this theologian, uh, he wasn't a theologian at that time, was was involved uh, with the German military, a bomb was dropped and killed a soldier standing right beside him. And he describes what his response was that began to haunt him. He started to say, why am I not dead too? He says, that's haunted me my entire life. And he says, life is good, but to be a survivor is hard. You ever heard of survivor's guilt? That it's this feeling that when someone has gone on, not only, not only why did I live, but then there's the weight of responsibility. What does it mean for me? So this theologian wrote, the people who escaped probably all saw their survival not just as a gift, but as a charge too. Their survival not just as a gift, but a charge too. Another writer uh, describes what compassion in the heart of a Christian sounds like. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion requires, sorry, compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those in tears. Compassion requi requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus, when he became fully human, didn't just take on our humanity, but he took on the heartache, the pain, the sorrow, the grief, the sins. He entered into our sorrow and bore our brokenness fully in the flesh. And when he sends us out, guess what he calls us to do? To do the same. Now you and I have to be careful here because we can read this in a fleshly way rather than in a faith way. We can take this in a human effort way rather than in a spiritual way. And if you take it in a fleshly way, see, one of the things I want to point out to you in Romans chapter 8 is when Paul talks about the flesh, we automatically think that the flesh refers to all those sinful temptations that we have in our sinful nature. It includes that. The flesh is that part of us that says, satisfy me, satisfy me, satisfy me, and looks, like Hale prayed, looks for comfort in other idols, our finances, our free time, right? Our families. We, we look for rest in pornography and alcohol and all those things. And we could put a list. 
But Romans 8 comes out of Romans 7 where the Apostle Paul talks about the struggle that he was trying to find his rest in his religious performance. In Romans chapter 7, he said, I was trying to obey the law with all my strength. But you know what the law did? It rose up and it killed me. The law came along and said, don't covet. Guess what I started doing? I coveted. And at the end of Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul says, who will save me, this wretched man, from this bondage to death? Thanks to be, be to God for Christ Jesus. And so here's what I want to remind you of, that the that Christ has come to save you, not just from your rebellion, but from your religion. And he wants to warn you from carrying the weight of your works upon your shoulder rather than resting in the works of Jesus Christ. So you need to hear that, friends. I'm saying this pastorally to you, that what will make you more than a conqueror is the power of the Holy Spirit being your strength, not you doubling down and determining to hold your family, your life, your finances, the community together. You can't do that. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't that good news? So I want to remind you that one of the things that we do when we become overwhelmed, and this is probably happening, this is, I think this is good timing for this sermon because you've done, you've begun to kind of adjust to the new lifestyle. But you know what happens after you get over the novelty of it? Then there's the long distance run of it. You're going to be stuck in the house with one another or alone by yourself. And there are going to be new battles that are fought there. And so we have different things. When we begin to be bothered by our own inability to get everybody to do what we think they ought to do, what do we do? There's the habit of fight, flight, or I put added one, fix it. Fight is we get frustrated with other people. Why are people so non-responsive? Why are people doing stupid things? Why are people so fearful? We start to get angry with one another and so that fight comes into us why because we feel like we got to fix this thing or there's the flight thing i'm out of here right we know we've maxed out on our ability to minister to one another so we check out then we're not available and you can check out by be you can be in the in the same room as somebody that needs you and be totally checked out right is that not true or we kick into fix it mode and so some of us are like me i'm a shepherd so I'm trying to fix everybody's problems, right? I'm anticipating everything. And so what happens is you begin to be weighted down, weighted down with the struggles that are around us rather than being lifted up by the Spirit within us. So hear me this morning and be encouraged by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Would you have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit that's functional in your life at this juncture? Would you have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit that's functional in your life because God is not asking you to carry the weight. God's asking you to wait for Him to do the carrying, to lean on Him, to look on Him. So let me, let me walk you through this text, and I want to point out three things for you. I'm going to make it really clear to you. I want you to see um, God's indwelling presence in the spirit of the believer. That's the first thing. That's the Holy Spirit. It's important to think about this. Then I want you to think of God's um, indisputable power, the power of the resurrection. So the indwelling presence, you have to believe to have a functional, hear this word, I want the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to be an active, functioning truth in your life. I want the person of the Holy Spirit to be functioning in your life as you're responding, looking, and listening to Him. 
So I want you to know the indwelling presence, the, uh, the uh, indisputable power of God, and then I'm going to talk a little bit, in the, hopefully in the right way, the uh, incredible potential of the people of God. The incredible potential of the people of God when this happens. So go to verse 9 where Diana read earlier. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, I could do a whole sermon series on the Trinity right here. Because you have Christ, you have God, and you have the Spirit. And the Spirit's called the Spirit of God, and the Spirit's called the Spirit of Christ. And then we simply said that Christ is in you. Those are not to be, some commentator says, those are not to be confused, but they are to be connected. The Spirit, and the, the Father, Son, and Spirit are not to be confused with one another, but they're definitely connected with one another. And so Douglas Moo in his commentary on Romans 8 says, For Paul, possession of the Holy Spirit goes hand in hand with being a Christian. If the Spirit of God's not in you, you're not a Christian. Now he's not writing to them because they're not a Christian. He's writing to them because they are Christians. That's who he's writing to. And he's writing to them, if you're a Christian, remember, you got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells you. He says, Moo writes, however much we need to grow in our relationship to the Spirit, however much we may be graciously given fresh and invigorating experiences of God's Spirit, from the moment of conversion on, the Holy Spirit is a settled resident within. The Holy Spirit is a settled resident within. So I want to begin by saying this. Every believer needs to know this. God is with you at all times by the Holy Spirit. But I need to say it a little further. God is within you all the time by the Holy Spirit. Now, just pause and think for a few moments of why that's so significant. Think about that for a moment. Why is the Holy Spirit within you? Is that not in some sense a mystery to you? What does it mean the Holy Spirit's in you? How does that actually work, that the Holy Spirit's within you? And I am not about to venture where angels fear to dread, you know, uh, to say that I can answer all of those things. But it's absolutely crucial to teach us a couple of things. Number one, your battle is within you. Your trouble's not outside of you. Your struggle is going to be within you. Here's the love of God, that the love of God is, I mean, this is one of the dominant promises of the Bible. Genesis begins with Adam and Eve in the garden having fellowship with what? Who? God. They're walking with God. Revelation ends with what? God dwelling in the midst of his people. So the Bible begins and the Bible ends with this protective, I read it earlier in Psalm 84, the Lord is a sun and a shield to us. What does sun do this time of year, friends? Yeah, the other day, everybody was in quarantine, I think outside we got sunshine on friday everybody i never saw so many people you know when we weren't obligated to stay home everybody was at home on their phones they took away our our uh, freedom and everybody went outside without their phones it was a marvelous thing sun does some marvelous things the lord is our sun warming us giving life to us causing growth he's shield and a protection over us you see god with us is one of the greatest statements Jesus saying, I will never, what, leave you nor forsake you. Friends, wherever you are, if you're alone right now at home, Jesus is with you. But better than that, he is in you. 
Christ in you, Paul says, the hope of glory. There's no hope of glory for me if it's me in me. If I'm alone inside Dibley, and I, I, I want to point out to you that this is telling us that the greatest needs and, and concerns of our lives are all met by the Holy Spirit working the grace of God's gospel in the inner man, in the inner woman, in the inner person, in the inner young people. So just talk, just, this is what I know it to be true, and this is clear in the Bible. I'll show you a little bit of this, that, that what God is doing is he ministers to us. Remember Jesus said, how are you to love the Lord your God? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's you. And some of us are struggling in our minds to trust, to think. Some of us are struggling with our affections. We feel cold to God, right? We feel distant from people and the Lord. It's a hard place. Where's our hope of glory? It's our mind, it's our affections, it's our wills. Oh God, I know I should, but God, I'm tired. God, I don't want to. We're, we're, we're resistant to, we have these battles of fear and anxiety and frustration. I'm not going to talk to them. They weren't listening to me. You know all those, ba- anybody having any battles? Inwardly? The heart, the mind, the affections, the will, the strength, the soul. The doctor is in the house. The spirit is where we're needed. Is, is God says, the strength of your, I am the strength of your soul. And so I need to start by saying this, Christian, that, we, that if we spend all our time watching the news, hoping that our help will come from out there, or up there, or, or around us, we're missing the point. The strength of the Christian is within If the Christian is in Christ, it's Christ in you. And that is the great gift of every believer. If you are a Christian, doesn't mean you've got it figured out. This is what I'm going to exhort you to do. You need to learn to lean on, listen to, walk with, respond to the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what it is for God to give the third person of the Trinity to undeserved dust bunnies? Made in his image, but the least, you know, we're just, we're not like the angels. And God pours out his spirit. Imagine the promises coming at Pentecost so that the spirit of God is poured out uh, cumulatively on the people of God and personally on us as individuals. Should we say to God, oh, no biggie? Should we give it no serious consideration? Have we had any conversations? Let's just start there, dear friends. We're not alone. And we're not in our own strength. And certainly when compassion comes and concern comes and that temptation of the flesh to to flight or to fight or to fix it comes, have we paused and asked, Holy Spirit, what shall I do? How will I do? Should I? Shouldn't I? And to walk, Paul says, don't walk in the flesh, but walk in the spirit. So think about this, friends. The God, that the community, that spirit, A, that created the galaxies lives in you. Is there potential? That spirit who raised Jesus up from the dead, can he raise you? What kind of power? 
what kind of potential. So that's the first thing, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now I want to talk about the indisputable power of the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, now he's, he's saying this as um, a statement that's true of them. He's saying, it's like in Philippians chapter 2, he says, if anyone's in Christ, if there's any fellowship, if there's any encouragement, if there's any love, be of the same mind. He isn't saying if there is any. What's he saying? There is. If you're a Christian, uh, incomprehensibly, Christ, by the Spirit, indwells the life of the believer. So if Christ is in you, although the body's dead because of sin, the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Now, there's what he's talking about is the indisputable power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to acknowledge something about commentators. Commentators typically will look at this text of Scripture and say in verse verse 10 and 11 that when the Spirit is called the Spirit of life and our body is dead, Because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the spirit of life is able to give life to our bodies. They say this is talking primarily about the resurrection. I think that's true in part. I think that's true in part because the hope of the Christian in everything, whether in life or death, is he will raise us up and make all things new. The resurrection of Christ is our resurrection if we are united with Christ. But Paul in Romans has argued at length. Go to Romans chapter 6 and read through that if you want. Uh, Paul argues at length that your union with Christ's death, you were baptized into his death, has raised you up to a new life. So you are to consider the members of your body as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So can I tell you two things that are true from this text? The first thing that's true is that the possession of the Holy Spirit guarantees the progression of the Christian in righteousness. Now, I've got to say this carefully. Your position right now in Jesus Christ is one of righteousness. That's what we already discovered last week. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you are now indwelled by the Spirit of Christ. And so though your body is, you know, helpless as of itself, now God is able to produce in you a life you could never live. The potential here is marvelous. You, because, because Christ provided your righteousness, is now, are now empowered by the Spirit of God to produce righteousness. You can grow. You can become increasingly like Jesus Christ. And so this will become a main argument in Romans chapter 6. It becomes an argument in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul prays for the church that God would open up the eyes of their hearts so that they might know the glorious riches of his calling. And he has aligned the incomparable power of him that is in you, who, who God raised up from the dead, who is now at work in the people of God in the church. So at the end of Romans chapter 3, he'll say, "If uh, um, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all we ask or imagine in Christ and in the church, be glory and honor. Right? 
Isn't that great? God who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly. So when we think about how am I going to handle the, the concerns that weigh heavy on my heart, and let me just pause. I'm going to try to be really practical. Would you say in your heart right now what your greatest concern is? If you're a fighter, say what it is. If you've been a fighter. If you're a fixer, are you tired? Have you been emptying the gas tank every day? And you think, how am I going to be able to sustain this? Imagine these doctors, these nurses in some of these places. Does it not seem unsustainable? I'm telling you, to, to live life normally is unsustainable. But then to carry the concerns of Christ is even more unsustainable. But I can do all things, Philippians, through Christ who strengthens me. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. That's the potential for me to come in and realize I am not alone, that where I struggle most, he is near and dear, and he will never leave me nor forsake me. And so D.L. Moody says, there is no use in running before you're sent. There's no use in attempting to God do God's work without God's power. That's Moody. And he was told to go out and find these young guys and get them together out, outside because he, he had the ministry to young men. They were too rowdy to come to church. And somebody said, take them out into a park, disciple them, train them, get out there. When they get organized, bring them back. And you think, many times we're over our head. He says, a man working without this unction, the power of God, a man working without this anointing, a man working without the Holy Ghost upon him is losing time after all. Unless the Lord... Builds a house, their labors, labor, laborers labor in vain. Isn't that true? So stop, friends, right now. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can do, can't do it. You can do it, what he calls you to do, with the grace and the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, my rest of this time, I want to ask you, what does it look like to be cognizant of the Holy Spirit and to walk in the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do for the Christian so the Christian doesn't try to do it in their own strength? That you're not bogged down by the demands of the flesh. What does the flesh say? Satisfy me, save me. It puts all the weight on you. Now here's the first thing the Holy Spirit does, I believe, and this gives us potential to live for God. It gives us a renewed mind, a renewed mindset. So look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. So then, what's the word there? Brethren, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. What's going on in that statement by Paul? Paul's saying, if you're my brother and sister in Christ, you no longer owe anything to the flesh. It's almost like Jesus saying to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You need to say, get be thee behind me, flesh. I owe you nothing. You, you did nothing for me. You are not my hope and salvation. You are no sun and shield. You are shade and gray days and vulnerability and exhaustion. The Holy Spirit comes and reminds us that we are not obligated to the flesh, we are liberated by Christ. 
So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he points out to the believer that the work is finished. You have nothing to add. You have nothing to do to ease your conscience, to sleep at night, to live out your life. It is what? It is finished. You're not a debtor to the flesh. So Jesus says in John chapter 16, (laughs) you remember the disciples when Jesus was telling them about the forthcoming crucifixion? How are they doing with that? Not so good. He had to tell them, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus, had, Jesus, the one to be crucified, had to console those who were around him. Isn't that great that Jesus does that? He had to point them to his work. That's what the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells them, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear it. Isn't that mercy? He doesn't tell you everything. Aren't you glad you don't know everything God knows? Aren't you glad you don't have to carry the world on your shoulders? And he, so he says, you, don't, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> Not that truth. But he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but he, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me and take what is mine and declare it to you all the father has is mine and therefore i said he will take what is mine and declare it to you so what does the holy spirit do the holy spirit lifts up jesus jesus says he glorifies me that's the first thing the holy spirit does he comes in takes the truth of the word of god and ministers the truth of the finished work of the glorified and risen christ friends christ has paid for all your sins Friends, it is finished on the cross. Friends, he is risen on high. He is right now interceding for you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the word and ministers the worth of it into your heart. And so here's one of the things you say, how do I walk in the spirit? How do I apply? You take the word of God and look and listen about Jesus. What he has done for you, not what you're doing for him. This is about a savior and a king and a, and a master and a returning one. And so you come and you rest. See, the weight of it is when we are pondering everything but Jesus, we're weighed down. Tom Schreiner says, Human beings can summon and harness their wills in order to overcome sin, which bubbles up within us and desires to manifest itself in bodily actions. The squelching of sinful impulses is not attributed, however, to the agency of human willpower. Victory is by means of the Spirit. I love this. The Holy Spirit has been sent to tell you to rest. The Holy Spirit has come to tell you to rely. The message of the Word of God is always trust in me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Are you open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Peeling your fingers off your circumstances and placing your focus on Jesus. Let him do that. That's his job. Listen to him. Don't squelch him. John Wesley says it's the spirit that sheds the love of God. 
God abroad in our hearts and the love of all mankind. Therefore, purifying our hearts from the love of the world, from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's by him that we are delivered from anger and pride and all vile and inordinate, inordinate affections. Thomas Chalmer has a famous, he's a Puritan writer called The, the um, Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Do you know how the Holy Spirit changes you so that you no longer want to live for yourself and serve the flesh? He changes your affections. So that's, that's the next part of what's being taught here, that the Holy Spirit comes and he gives you a renewed mind, but he gives you a resolved will. Those of you who are homeschooling, which I think is everybody now, <laughs> if you are teaching at home, you know the difference between your, when your kid is emotionally engaged and non-emotionally engaged in what you're teaching. Right? If somebody is n has no emotional connection to the information they're getting, they'll probably not retain it. That's actually scientifically studied. And so what you and I need to see is that when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the Word of God, He doesn't simply apply it to your minds. He drills it down into your hearts. Christ doesn't become a fact of um, God's historical acts in history. He becomes the treasure of the heart of the believer. That the way to overcome our impulses to try to uh, fleshly either satisfy ourselves with sin or save the world in our own strength. The, the, the thing that transforms our minds is the, trans, or it's the truth of our minds getting down to your heart. This takes time. Thank God you're in isolation. If it means you finally spend enough time that it gets from here to here. That's the biggest problem people have. We're so busy that it goes out in one ear and out the other. Right? Jesus confronts people. The Word of God confronts people. They have eyes to see but do not see. They have ears to hear but do not hear. Here's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the truth of God and puts it in the heart of people so they don't want other things. He changes your affections. So Chalmers writes, the object of the gospel is both to pacify the sinner's conscience and to purify their heart. The best way of casting out an impure affection is to let in a pure one. This, that is, the freer the gospel, the more sanctifying is the gospel. The more it's received as a doctrine of grace, the more it will be found felt as a doctrine according to godliness. So what God does by the power of the Holy Spirit is he inwardly works on your affections. And he causes you not only to see it with your intellect, but to seize it with your heart. Is Jesus precious to you? Is his finished work on the cross stunning to you? See, I don't, I, I don't tend to want to ask people, do you believe in Jesus? The devil believes in Jesus, and he shudders. I want to ask the question, is Jesus precious to you? He's not a combination code to unload the door to heaven. He is the Savior, the King, the Master, the Friend who laid down his life for you and will never leave. When all your friends betray you, he does not turn away. And you see, what happens with us is we turn to things that won't satisfy us. Our affections are gripped by things that we think will help us. 
C.S. Lewis, again, that famous quote from Weight of Glory says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, spending our time on spring break in Fort Lauderdale, spreading coronavirus, thinking that'll make us happy, right? He says we're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. So, so what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, first you take the Word of God and ask the Spirit of God to make the truth of God be the guiding principle of your life, and then you ask the Spirit of God to show you the worth of Christ. Matt Chandler says this, find the things that stir your affections for Christ and saturate your life with them. Find the things that rob you of that affection and walk away. Isn't that a good discipline? That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Find the things that stir your affections for Christ, right? And saturate your life with them. Find the things that rob you of your affection and walk away. That's the Christian life as easy as I can explain it to you. That's a helpful phrase. What it means to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. You say, what elevates my affections for Christ? You know what it is? One of the things we're realizing, other people. I love to be with other people singing for Jesus. So, Mike, as hard as it's been, the last couple of days you can go home and sleep for a month if you have to. I don't know. But whatever it's in, for when you stand up and sing, when the team stands up and sing, when I hear the singing of the saints, I sing in my soul to a Savior who loves me. Aren't you glad that you have a God who is a singing God? Not a cold-hearted, chanting God, but a God who vibrates the... The, the chords of our soul with the sounds of salvation. Sing to me, Jesus. Sing to me of my Savior. Tell me over and over again. Christ's love for me and Christ's love for you. That's what we need. Get yourself in that place. It's the Spirit's work. So here's how the Holy Spirit works. He works and renews your mind, right? And He changes your will, your resolve. By getting a hold of your affections. That's what he does. You know what that is? That's worship. The Holy Spirit creates real worship. Jesus, God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. You're not worshiping. If you're cold hearted, ask God, help me by the power of the Holy Spirit. To so delight in Christ that he would be my chief treasure. My treasure above all things. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save thou but thou art thy my best thy my best thought by day or by night waking and sleeping thy presence my light is that true that's what the holy spirit does the other thing the holy spirit does so he's he's telling you that christ has finished it that christ is worth it and then above all that christ is with you in the sense that he talks about the holy spirit reminds us that we are part of the family of God. He teaches us by His presence in us that in Christ we've been adopted. This doctrine is huge. So look at Romans chapter 8, for verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. You're a child of the King. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Stop, stop, stop. When you're running into fight, fighting, when you're running into fleeing, when you're running into fix it, stop it. You're a child of the king. Verse 
15 said, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoptions of son by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's the most intimate terms. My dear friends, intimacy with God is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Reminding you and assuring you that you belong to Him. So that, as 16 says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we're heirs. You are His. You are His. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit does with the Word of God? He reminds you, don't save yourself. Don't think you stand alone. Put Satan behind you who brings accusation. You are your father's son. You picture the prodigal son, the elder brother going, wait a minute. You know what he's done? That's the voice of the enemy. You know what he's done? The father running out, lifting up his robes, wrapping his arms around you, putting the ring on, slaughtering the fatted calf, saying, my son who was dead is now alive. I cannot, with the best words that I use today, begin to explain to you the love of God towards his children. I cannot begin to do it. The Holy Spirit will minister the rest of your life to remind you that everyone in Jesus Christ is a child of the King. Isn't that calming to your soul? Accepted in the Beloved, delighted in by the Father, forever, forever His. We need to come and be reminded Jonathan Edwards wrote, the spirit of bondage works by fear for the slave, fears the rod, but love cries out, Abba, Father. It disposes us to go to God and behave ourselves towards God as children. Do you understand what's being said here? The Holy Spirit will say to you, go to God. He's your Abba. Pray. That's how the Holy Spirit works. He helps you in your praying. You don't have enough strength? Well, take it to God. Why are you sitting here by yourself? Elijah, what are you doing out here? Some of you, the Holy Spirit would say to you, what have you been doing out there by yourself, talking to yourself? Stop talking to yourself. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the gospel. Love the Lord who loves you. I've been doing a lot of praying, and I've been doing a lot of praying out loud. I've been walking in the farmhouse. It's a lonely place in that farmhouse. Thankfully, every once in a while, someone comes around and I peer up against the glass of my office window. Oh, there's people! Well, you know, I'm consoled by birds. I go out and look at birds and every once in a while. But every once in a while, a human being goes by. Dan and Sandy came on, on Friday and walked up. I was out the front door. You know, the girls came riding by, Natalie and Savannah and Julia and they came riding by in their bicycles. I was out in the parking lot. Okay, six feet. We're all six feet apart. You're a person. You know, you want to be with your family. You want to see it. The Holy Spirit says, he's your father. Don't stand outside. Come on in. Don't stay at a distance. Cry out, Abba, Father. Cry out to him. He delights to hear the voices of his children. Boy, when that phone rings and I see FaceTime and it's little Ellie in Honduras and little Corey and Lily in Toronto, I, the, the FaceTime goes on because I delight to hear the voices of my children and my grandchildren. My love is nothing like the love of the Father towards you. Nothing like that. See what the Holy Spirit says? Pray. Life in the Spirit is the life of prayer. Seeking the face of the Father and believing He loves you with an everlasting love. Anyway, let me give you one last thing here. So He gives you that reconciled heart and then He gives you this I want to say 
unreserved soul. That's how he ministers to your soul. He gives you the strength. Look at the end of verse, that section on Abba Father, the Spirit telling you you belong to God. It says in verse 16, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God, and if we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and fair fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Would you circle the phrase with him? Here's the beauty of this text. Jesus never asks us to do anything alone. And Jesus never asks us to lead the way. You see, we are his children. And we'll in inherit everything in the new heaven and the new earth. He's going to take away every disease. Coronavirus is one of a long list. He's going to take away cancer. He's going to wipe away tears. He's conquered death. One day he's going to make it all new. And that's true. If you're willing to suffer with him, you'll be able to glorify him. But the with him is this. Jesus, I don't know what to do here. He just says, well, just trust me. The Bible reads this way. Come to me, those of you who are weary and heavy laden. And learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And you will find what? Rest for your soul. Why? Because I am, yeah, meek and gentle of heart. Come and rest. Come and rest. Look at the person beside you in your living room. Come and what? Rest. Learn. Just come with Jesus. Let Jesus lead. Let Jesus show you what to do. Let Jesus tell you to sit still and be quiet. Follow, lean, look to Jesus. And as you walk with Jesus, he'll walk you all the way home. Isn't that the 23rd Psalm? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. How does it end? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know what this kind of love looks like? You know the person you're frustrated with? When you're so in love with Jesus, you look at them and you say, isn't it amazing how much Jesus loves me? I'd be frustrated with me in the flesh. But he isn't frustrated with me. Listen to what Keller talks about. I'm going to say this for those of you who are married, because maybe marriage is hard during crisis. Keller says this, you can only afford to be generous if you actually have money in the bank to give. In the same way, if your only source of love and meaning is your spouse, then any time he or she fails you, it will not just cause grief, but a psychological cataclysm. If, however, you know something of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have enough love in the bank to be generous to your spouse even when you're not getting much affection or kindness at the moment. Isn't that amazing what the Holy Spirit does? He fills the bank account of the Father's love and Jesus' love in your heart so that you can serve where compassion is needed. You can serve where forgiveness is needed. You, forget, you can serve where patience. Take 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. Right? Read all of those things. Those are miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit enabling you to serve where you wouldn't have the energy to serve because you're too stressed out, freaked out, and frustrated. So Spurgeon gives these words. I think they're helpful. Remember, 
There's no power in man so fallen that the Holy Spirit can't raise it up. However debased a man may be in one instant by the miraculous power of the Spirit, all his faculties may be cleansed and purged. Ill-judging reason may be made to judge rightly. Stout, obstinate wills may be made to run willingly in the way of God's commands. Evil and depraved affections may in an instant be affections for Christ. And old desires that are tainted with vice may be replaced by heavenly aspirations. My dear friends, if God is for us, who can be against us? Let's pray. Let's pray together. Oh, God, I thank you. I thank you, dear God, for Jesus. I thank you that our union with him has resulted in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit into our heart, Christ in us, the hope of glory. I thank you, dear God, that when we're tempted to fight, when we're tempted to flee, when we're overburdened by the need to fix absolutely everything, I thank you, Heavenly Father, we are told to rest in you. That there is one who says the work is finished. The work is finished. The work is finished. Jesus paid it all. There's one who tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That you are loved by the Father, adopted as a child. You are welcome, open access to him. Oh, speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Change our affections. Make us strong. Help us to see, dear God, that you do not put the weight of the world, you take the weight off. And you show us, dear God, that you work on behalf of those who wait for you. We praise you and bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to find out more about Waterbrook Christian Church located in Victoria, Minnesota, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed day.